0: what's up what's up y'all welcome back to um coffee with chloe i know it's been a minute um since i did a podcast probably like this summer but it's been a crazy couple of months um i want to try to be more consistent in 2020 um with my podcasting um but i do have a guest on today um it's actually my little cousin justin um he's interested in like the legal field um obviously i'm a law school student so we're going to be talking about a couple of like um popular issues within the black community and a couple of films um and books surrounding some topics regarding that um so justin go ahead and say what's up
1: what's up everybody <laughs> cool
0: um so we're gonna talk about um just mercy so just a little background for people um just mercy is actually originally a book um written by brian stevenson um and it just kind of talks about like his work that he did um for like uh it's a little bit of juvenile, but mostly, um, like those have been sentenced to death or, um, you know, things like that. Um, life in jail, um, Duff Row, a couple of those things and some of the work that he's done regarding that, um, and just his path to kind of get there. Um, and there's also a movie, um, that came out in select, uh, theaters. Um, it's actually called just mercy. It's starring Jamie Fox. Um, it might be Jordan and it came out on Christmas day in a few cities and then it comes out, um, across the country on January 10th. Um, So, Justin and I both read the book, um, and I think it's a very moving book. Um, I think there's a lot to discuss regarding it. Um, So, just really quick, Justin, what's before we get into specifics, what's something that really just, I guess, stood out to you um, regarding the book, Just Mercy?
1: Well, I think what really stood out to me the most was, like, this is a story about Walter McMillan who was on death row and you know eventually he ha- eventually he got released and eventually like the criminal justice system I wouldn't say it worked out for him but the criminal justice system he got he got exonerated but the thing that really stood out to me is the fact that there really isn't a happy ending for Walter McMillan and for mm-hmm. the countless other people who spend their time in prison and eventually get exonerated that's not a happy ending because they mm-hmm. wasted and the same yeah, so they wasted their they they basic they served time that for crimes that they didn't commit, so I think that's what really stood out to me oh. um also I just I have this quote that I think really captures the essence of just mercy and captures the essence of like how we should judge the criminal justice system, and it goes. Uh, our commitment to the rule of law fairness and equality cannot be measured by how we treat the rich the powerful the privileged and the respected among us the true measure of our character is how we treat the poor the disfavored the discarded the incarcerated and the condemned and so i think that sort of captures sort of the essence of what we're of what we're getting at when we talk about like criminal justice a lot of people think that um a lot of people think that when someone commits a crime they you know, they, they should be punished, and they should be punished, but it's also about how do we do just mercy, you know? Yeah, for sure.
0: Um, You said a lot, actually, and I think we're going to get into a lot of those things, especially punishment. <laughs> I, think that's a, I think our take on punishment as American people is very interesting, especially when you look at punishment in other countries, but we'll get into that. Um, I do want to really quickly touch on um, two things that you said that really spoke to me, and one of them I actually think about, um, but the first one being um that there was no happy ending for him and I didn't think about that like I completely agree with you but like I didn't really think about like oh there was no happy ending but I mean if you think about it it really wasn't because I mean you're completely right like this guy spent years in, in on death row not even in jail but on death row for a crime that he didn't commit like he got you know some attorneys who didn't really try to fight his case you know he was just in a bad situation um, and I do agree there's a lot of people who have committed crimes um and are in jail. maybe they were sentenced, you know really young. we're going to talk about this too about you know kids that have been sentenced and they're in jail for a long period of time for something very small and then you have a lot of people who are in jail for crimes that they did not commit, and you know a lot of people get exonerated and you know they sue they get some money back civilly, but it's just like, yeah, I have you know three million dollars now, but I just lost the last 20 years of my life. That's something that I'm never going to get back. And this amount of money that you're giving to me isn't going to make up for the time that I lost in my life. You know, I lost time with my family. If I had kids, like I missed out on birthdays. Like it's a lot, you know, that you miss out on that money can never make up for, especially when you're in jail for something you didn't do. Um, Right. So, yeah. That's kind of something that kind of stood out to me that you said that there was no happy ending. Um, and then you also made a comment, and I think the book touches on this a little bit, um, about how basically the criminal justice system, and I'm going to air quote this, works in the end. Um, but I think it's it's interesting to say that, it's, I, think, I think one of the police officers or something said in the book um, about how it works, but it's kind of like, does our criminal justice system truly work if someone goes to jail for a crime that they did not commit, and you know, 15 years later they found out they didn't commit that crime, so now they're out of jail, and that's showing that the criminal justice system works? Or is a working criminal justice system one that gets it right the first time so that you're not losing this time and in jail for these things to begin with? Right. Right. And like
1: how and you know, another question that I just have is how many people have been condemned that have never been exonerated, that haven't had like the Brian right. Stevensons or you know, and so like that just really like strikes me as like is and you know, this is a question that I actually was sort of um wondering and I wonder what you think what if you could say some more about this, but It's does just mercy advocate for a restructuring of the criminal justice system, or like a complete destruction of the criminal justice system? Like, can we can we reform it, or do we have to? Because like Angela, like we look at like uh, like the former Black Panther Angela Davis, and she believes that incarceration in general is bad, and there should be no prisons. Or can we reform it? Can we have prisons that actually? hash out, like, just
0: mercy, you know? Right. Um. I, I don't know that he ever touched on it, um, about whether he believes it's a, uh, you should completely destroy the system and rebuild it, or if there's, like, a reform possible. Um, I'm going to have to assume, and I could be wrong, that he is more so of a reform kind of guy, just based on the work that he's doing, because he's working within the system to fix it, so I would kind of, I would just assume based on that he's a reform guy, which... I my personal beliefs, I'm against reform. Like I think it needs to be completely destroyed and rebuilt. And I say that because the system isn't broken; it's working in the way that it was created to work. Right. So you can't you can't fix something that isn't broken, because it's. I mean, it's not like the point of it. And I'm going to get into this when we talk about some of the statistics. Um, like just really quickly speaking, um. There were three hundred thousand people incarcerated in nineteen seventy. That number went up to two point three million today. Wow. So yeah. that's two. And this is this is um something that he had um a number that he had in the book. So in thirty forty years, two million people were incarcerated. So clearly, the system, especially when we get into things like you know the privatization of the of the criminal industry and like private prisons it's built to put people in jail so i don't know how you can reform something when you know it's an oil machine and it's pumping out all this oil because that's what it's built to do so if i want to take that oil machine and start building water i gotta build a new machine so i mean that's just my you know point of view um on that um but i mean i can't speak for brian stevenson i'm not really sure but i would just I mean, just kind of based on the readings, I think he's more of a reform person. But I mean, do you have an opinion either way about, like, reform or, like, destroying or...
1: This is, like, tricky for me because in a way, I... I would like to be idealistic and believe that we can reform the criminal justice system and still have, like, still have prisons but just have prisons that are more humane. Mm
0: -hmm. But
1: we haven't really seen that throughout history like i mean you even go back to like back in the day uh like the 19th century or something like when after slavery was over they um yeah after sla- after slavery was over they still they in- instituted the black codes to mm-hmm. imprison a ton of black people just so they can do convict leasing So, I don't really. So, I kind of agree with you. Like, I don't think there is a way that we can reform a system that was created to hurt poor people, particularly Mm -hmm. poor people of color. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, I completely more humane. uh, And we see that in a lot of uh, other countries. I think he actually speaks on it when he got an award from. It might have been Switzerland, but it also could have been Sweden. Actually, I didn't put it down in my notes, so I really don't remember. Um, and they have a very successful rate of like rehabilitating people when they're in jail, and they treat them better. Um, and there's actually, interestingly enough, I believe it's Alabama, which is where a lot of his work happened. Um, there was a spread in the news. Um, I actually talked about this earlier this year in my criminal law class um, at school, and these inmates in a male prison were taking pictures and sending them to news outlets to show how harsh their living conditions were. And I mean, some of them are really gruesome pictures. Like, some of them they had to blur because it was too gruesome to show. But I mean, there's like blood in some of the pictures. There's dead people from the inmates fighting in some of the pictures. You know, there's water leaks and like all this stuff. And it's like, how are you punishing somebody and putting them in unlivable conditions and expecting that to change them when they get out of jail, when there's not resources to say, hey, when you get out of jail, here's what you're going to do while you're in jail. You know, Maybe you're taking a cooking class, maybe you're reading, maybe you're doing X, Y, Z, and then when you get out, here are resources to help you become a productive citizen. Instead of I'm going to let you out. You're going to go through hell while you're in jail. I'm going to let you out and feed you to the wolves. And I mean, you might come back. You know, and, and right. you know, in comparison to other countries, and it's it's not like that. Right. Um so I think that's um something that's really interesting. And then kind of speaking on that, I don't know if you caught this um or not in the book, but he talks about how when women get arrested, um, and I actually know a little bit about this from a landlord class that I took um this year actually in school. Um about women and particularly mothers when they're arrested you know they can't get they can't qualify for like government housing and like food stamps and support programs so then i think that's another way that this cycle is working to keep poor people poor and keep them incarcerated because when you're taking away basic necessities like food and housing from people um what option do they have other than to
1: commit crimes right right and like that is another thing that really stuck out to me is that when we look at the statistics that one out of every three black one out of every three black men is going to have a felony we look at things like that and then we first they it's harder for them to find jobs because Mm -hmm. like they you know, have this scarlet letter around where people can ask about your criminal records in most states. They can't ask in like a couple of states, but in most states they can ask mm-hmm. about your criminal record and they cannot hire you based off the fact that you have a felony. You can't vote in a lot of states. In some states you can yeah. vote now, but you can't vote. And so it's sort of this like and I think this is going a little bit off topic. You are talking about like Michelle Alexander, New- the New Jim Crow book. But it's sort mm-hmm. of like it is the new Jim Crow, you know? It, it, no, it is, for sure. Yeah, especially when it's black people who are getting locked up for crimes that white people are just, you know, able to do and not necessarily reaping the, like, punishments of that, of those yeah. crimes.
0: Right. Um, and then you um, you touched on something. I forgot exactly what quote I was going to take from you and comment on it. Um, it's going to come back to me. Um but I also think that, oh, actually, I remember what I was going to say. Um, we are talking about not being able to get jobs and, you know, not being able to vote. And I think Brian Stevenson actually touches on this in the book. And he, um, he says, like, he talks about just mercy and punishment. And it's kind of like, who are we to say that you committed this crime, so I'm going to condemn you as a criminal for the rest of your life? You right. Know? Who are we to think that? And I say we as in society. I'm not saying me. I'm not saying we as in me or you. I'm saying as <laughs> yeah. society as an Amer as American people. Who are we to say that? You know, you stole from Walmart. And, you know, you stole. You know, five hundred dollars worth of shit. So I'm gonna call you a thief for the rest of your life, even though you were 18 when you did it. Right. You know, and, and- you're 45 now, and you just have this label on you, and it's like you. And it's just something that you can't break away from. And then, in the and then in the same sense let's say somebody like Walter, who didn't commit this crime at all, but right. he still has this tag of a murderer. And, yeah. you know, who are we to to be able to stick that on somebody, you know, for the rest of their lives?
1: Right. Right. Yeah. And we like hardly ever take into account circumstances because, you know, somebody might have stole some bread versus somebody stealing I don't know some candy or whatever and right. we're going to say we're going to group them both together as thieves when one stole bread to feed their family. So it's it's just like we don't the criminal justice system doesn't do a great job of looking at circumstances surrounding a lot of these crimes. Right. You know? I agree? And a lot of these crimes are crimes committed because the person's in poverty. Like mm-hmm. we we even see uh I don't know a specific study but I remember reading that um it was something about like if the school like if the school district was good that it that dictates how much crime is going to happen or like based off like poverty you can sort of predict whether somebody will commit a crime based off like their social status and so like we look at things Mm -hmm. like we look at things like that and it's just and then they go into prison, and then they can't get food stamps. They can't get welfare. So it is a cycle. Recidivism will happen, you know? Mm-hmm. And the criminal justice system is supposedly supposed to be created to rehabilitate people. Right. But how can you rehabilitate somebody when you put them in cages and treat them like animals then kick, right. then kick them out, you know, with a bus pass? Right. And they live 10 years with outside of society, on the fringes of society, I would say, and then they come into society and they can't get jobs because of the felony. And then they 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 don't know how to operate. So what are, what else are they gonna do but commit crimes? You right. know?
0: Um and I want to touch on two things you said um really quickly. Um you talked about, you know, somebody selling bread and versus somebody selling candy. There's black women in this country who have been arrested and gotten years in jail in comparison to like a white man who Trigger warning uh, for anybody listening to this, but who have molested young girls and only get you know a couple of months in prison. Um, and there's mothers who have gotten years for putting their children in a better school district, um, which has been a, a something that's been happening a lot recently. Um, it's been in the news a couple of times. Um, I think this one lady, um, got like maybe like four years or something like that, you know, just for putting their children in a better school district, you know, to better them. And it's just kind of like mm. I mean, this is completely unreasonable to me. Um, but you also talked about, you know, the criminal system being to rehabilitate people and how are you doing that when you're locking people in cages. There's actually a lot of studies. Um, one in particular about the mental effects of the inmates and the prison guards. So there's one study where these people, you know, I don't, I'm gonna, I don't remember the exact number, so I'm going to say 10 people. Um, so let's say five of them are inmates and five of them are guards but they're, you know, in a test, like they're not actually incarcerated, they're not actual prison guards, you know, it's just like a, a an experiment, but like over the t- the course of the experiment, the people who were pretending to be inmates took on those roles of like actually being in prison, you know, like mentally, and then the prison guards took on those roles of being like the prison guards, and there were cases where the prison guards so, like being the prisoners, and right. this was all a made-up experiment. Like, none of none of this was actually true, but it's just... And, it, and that just goes to show you how our minds work. And if somebody in an experiment can take on those roles, what effect do you think that has on people that are actually in these situations? Right. And if our system is truly one that's built to I'm not going to say fix people, um, but To and I don't I don't want to really say I mean I I guess punish is the best word because I mean I think that's what it's doing but if it's a system to punish in order to deter people from doing something again how are you helping them not do that again when their mindset in prison isn't one of changing you know their circumstances or whatever right right Um, and then I want to talk about a couple of well let's talk about the the funding really quickly um before i talk about i want to talk about some of the cases um in some of the states more specifically um but really quickly brian stevenson gives a couple of numbers and he talks about how we spend 80 billion dollars on putting people in jail and we we we've begun to shift funds from public services and education, health and things like that to pay for incarceration. And it's interesting because we're in a point where now where our presidential election a lot of the democrats are fighting for, I'm not going to say fighting for are arguing about free, you know, public um care um as well as you know, student loan forgiveness or like, you know, free college and things like that. But when you're spending $80 billion to keep people in jail, it's kind of like, why can't we spend that money elsewhere? You know, why can't we spend that money to help these people who are impoverished, to keep them from being repeat offenders? Um, And there's actually a study on this uh, from one of my classes that I took this semester about how when you shift your funding so that you're paying for public goods and public necessities such as like healthcare and like daycare and this type of things the crime rates and things like that actually reduce so you're spending more money up front to prevent these problems but in the long run you're spending less money because you're not putting so much money into jail right Um, and then I mean same thing with private prisons Um, they keep people in jail longer uh to earn more profit. So like you get, you know, in trouble for, you know, doing something while you're incarcerated and they add more time to your sit you know, things like that. Um so, you know, I don't know. Um
1: Yeah, I compl- yeah, I completely agree and I had a point where I, where I just it just blew <laughs> my mind. Um yeah, I um I completely agree with that and it's just it's crazy because if you look at um you look at these prisons you know, people go into prison. Even people who get DUIs or like minimal like charges on them, when they go into prison, they're like I forgot the exact number, but they're more likely to come out and commit crimes because that's what prison does to you. It's just this You're cycle right. where you end up you end up creating criminals where there are not criminals. And I and I use criminals very loosely because I don't even think we should You know, we should classify people as criminals, but you create a problem that isn't there with a lot of these people and then you're diverting public money into these prisons and it's just, it's, the criminal justice system is gonna, if if we don't, you know, if we don't change it or destroy it and create something new, it's eventually not, it's not gonna be sustainable in the long run. Mm-hmm. And there will come a time when it's gonna turn into a crisis hmm
0: yeah, um, and I wanna talk a- more specifically about some of his um cases um I'm gonna do Walter's case after I do um this one, but um, this is actually something that I was not aware of until I read this book um but you know he talks about juveniles um some of which as young as twelve have been sentenced to life in prison without the chance of parole. So you're 12 years old. Um, and you're going to be in jail until you die for a crime that you committed at 12. Um, oh. and then he says, um, Alabama has more juvenile sentence to death per capita than any other state or any country in the world. Um, one of which, um, there was a 14 year old boy named Charlie, um, and this man was beating his mom. And at one point, Charlie thought his mom was dead. Um, so he killed the man. And it comes to find out the, the man that he killed for beating his mom, you know, over time was actually um, a police officer. Um, and they wanted to charge him as an adult at the age of 14. Um, and I just I think that's really interesting. And I, I, I honestly didn't know that there were so many juveniles who were sentenced to death um in this country. Um and then luckily Brian Stevenson, his work is the reason that, you know, he went to this uh Supreme Court and actually um uh, they you know you can't do this anymore. They made it uh I guess illegal to, to sentence a uh, uh, juvenile to life in jail or to um to death um anymore. But I just I find that, I found that very troubling. Um yeah that there's you know, places where people at 12 years old are spending the rest of their lives in jail.
1: Right, and you, we also, this goes back to this whole idea of creating a problem that's not there. When you lock someone up at 14 for committing a crime, if they, as time goes on, like, you know, I think Brian Stevenson sort of mentioned this in the, in the book at some point, but he talks about how, like, at 26, People's frontal lobes aren't developed until 26. And so you lock someone up at 14 for committing a crime that they would not commit at 24, 25, or 26. And you lock them up for life or you, you know, lock them up for 20, 30 years. And it's just, it's not, yeah. And so that's just, um I'm losing my train of thought, but yeah. And so you end up creating these problems.
0: Right. Um, And then um, he actually, there's another one. Uh, Florida is one of the states where the prosecutor uh, was able to decide whether you should charge a juvenile in adult court. And there's no minimum for charging a child as an adult. So there's no minimum age. So, I mean, hypothetically speaking, it could be an eight-year-old and you could sentence them, you know, in adult court because Florida doesn't have any laws that prevents that. Um, but recently, there's been a lot of, like, uh, research and things like that done on, like, the adolescent brain development and why young people make the decisions they make when they're young. And Brian Stevens touches on this because his grandfather was killed um, by some, you know, kids in their teens. Um, you know, I think they were robbing him or something like that. Um, and they kept wondering, like, why would anybody do this? And he was like, basically... They were young. And I mean, that's not an excuse, but like there's so much research now that shows that like you're until you're, you know, 24 years old or around that age, your brain isn't even done developing. Um, and one of the, the people in the book that he talked to, you know, he said they, they were like, why did I commit this crime? I mean, they they were like in their 30s or 40s at this point when he was talking to them and they did something, you know, 13, 14 years old. And they were like, I don't know why I did that. But it's kind of like you're a, a, a child, like you know what I'm saying. So right. I, I don't understand. I think that's interesting that there's a lot of places in this country um, that aren't taking that into account. Right. Um, and then we we actually both had this um, in our notes, um, but we were talking um, about the public defender systems. Um, and I didn't know this either. And so I read this, but Alabama doesn't have a public defender system. And there's a lot of people that go to death row without ever having an, an attorney. And my first thought to that is, is that not a violation of their constitutional rights? Because in criminal cases, you have a right to an attorney. So I, I don't understand how that's something that's been going on for so long and how people are being sentenced to death row and never talking to an attorney. Right, or also
1: receiving these. This is what really strikes me is that there were some lawyers who were representing these people, and then turned out to, and then like weren't obviously were doing like being half-assed about it and not actually taking the time to do these cases, and then they were getting sued for malpractice and getting disbarred later on. But that person that you that they. Represented is still on death row, and so it's just the public defending defender system is also something that definitely needs reform. Oh, for sure. Um, and I just I also question: should we, if a public defender is disbarred, should the should the clients who they represent it be given another shot? Because that's I, that, a good, yeah, that's a good point. That's
0: but, a good point. Um. That's a very good point. But then so if you feel like the public defender system should be, I guess, changed, how do you feel about the jury system? See, that that's a that's a
1: good question as well. Um, I think the the jury system in its perfect form, I think, works. Generally speaking, I think when you have People taken from your community to judge whether you've committed a crime. I think that works, but I think there there are definitely some issues with it. And yeah. you know, but I just that is a good question. And yeah. I I haven't I haven't really thought too much into the jury system because the prosecutors can just strike a juror for being black and give them give just they don't even have to give any reasons. I think they have six times right.
0: Yeah, I mean so technically, yes, like you can't say like I wanna strike them because they're black, but like you can make something up and have them being black as your underlying reason for striking them. Right. Um so yeah. Um and then interesting enough, um Brian Stevenson says it's in the book as well. Alabama is the only state that allows a judge to override jury decisions and in a lot of cases what the judge does is increase the the um, the charge, the penalty or whatever to the death penalty. So there's an increasing rate of overrides that result in the death penalty. Um, one thing I will, I think that's a problem. But, I mean, thankfully, there's only one state that does that. But that one state is still bad, especially when you look at a lot of the problems Alabama has with their criminal justice system. Um, but one thing I will say about jury, um, just in general, I think in their perfect form they would work, but I also think it's one thing to think about. Um, so I'm going to give you a hypothetical here. Let's say you have, you know, an 18 year old black guy, and let's say he stole, I don't know, let's say he, you know, robbed a, a gas station for $50. And let's say that $50 was, you know, to help his mom buy groceries or something like that. And let's say he has a jury of predominantly, you know, white jurors. They're, more than likely going to convict him because they can't understand why this poor person would steal $50 for groceries and they're going to brand him as a criminal and let's say he has a jury of predominantly black people and let's say they're black people that come directly from his community like let's say they went through some of the same things let's say that you know a lot of these people grew up in poverty and they, they can understand why somebody did something like that so I think the jury system I think that would make them biased a little bit though Um, but I think the jury system would work better if you could have juries of people who had similar backgrounds because, yeah, he should, you know, receive some penalty for robbing a gas station, but as someone who grew up in a situation as him, you know, that jury will be less harsh and more understanding to his situation.
1: Right. And actually, you know, it works on the flip side as well. I was reading this book by a federal a former federal prosecutor paul butler he wrote a book called chokehold and it was sort of about like african-americans being in it was sort of about african yeah Af- about african-americans in the criminal justice system and he was saying that uh jury jurors rare, rarely in dc they rarely um convict african-american men and because they get a mm-hmm. they get a jury of their peers and so there's a lot of African-Americans on that jury pool. And so Mm -hmm. they, they rarely convict African-American men for crimes. Even, even if the evidence is like big, you know? And I think, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think on either side of, on either side, that is, you know, that's wrong, you know? Mm -hmm. Sorry. I'm, (laughs) I'm having trouble connecting my thoughts. No, I agree.
0: I think it's definitely something that that's difficult to determine. Um, And then I would like to talk quickly about the rate of um, the incarceration of women. So from 1980, and this is coming from Just Mercy, the book, from 1980 to 2010, the incarceration of women increased 646%. And I just... that's very problematic like how can something increase that much you know what i'm saying like and most of the time these are women with children so um and there's research i wish i i wish i um still had this information for my class um but there's research that talks about how when women are incarcerated the effect that has on their children and their children are more likely to follow in that system um so and then I mean, like one thing that that uh, just Mercy talks about is women have been incarcerated um, for capital murder for birthing stillborn children in a lot of like rural places because they you know they've been accused of like birthing the baby alive and not wanting it, so murdering them when in fact you know the baby was just born stillborn. Right. Um, which is interesting. I mean, when we we live in a dynamic now where. You know women have been fighting for like their abortion rights you know there's you know recently been you know legislation passed where like you can't get abortion after a certain time. A couple of states were trying to ban it completely. A couple of places were trying to like prosecute women for having abortions so it's interesting to see that even today women are still fighting for their rights in a sense
1: right and I think it was I think it was within this decade that they just prohibited women being shackled while giving birth was um i'm not sure which year i heard
0: about that yeah Yeah. I don't what year either
1: but it, they they put these women in handcuffs while they're giving birth and that's definitely overkill and also yeah it's just it makes absolutely no sense why a woman who is giving birth should be shackled that's inhumane
0: good right. right um Bro, I want to talk on a more well actually let me talk about the movie really quickly um, and I know you haven't seen the movie um, so I'm not going to tell too much information about it um, I will just say as someone who's seen the movie um, at like an event screening um, and as someone who also read the book in terms of Brian Stevenson and really capturing his work and everything that he's done I would recommend reading the book um, and that's not to say the movie is bad, but it just, it's just not in depth to really get the grand scheme of everything that is going on in our criminal justice system. Um, but I still think the, the movie is necessary um, because, unfortunately, most people are not going to read the book. So I think the movie is still a, a way to tell that story. Um, And I I know you, I think you asked me this um, when we were talking about the book, about whether or not reading, you know, Just Mercy makes me want to be a a lawyer and kind of do that type of work that he's doing. And um, for me, I would say, I would say yes and no. It makes me want to help, but it doesn't make me want to be the person going to court and fighting these cases, uh, if that makes sense. Um, I think I would want to be more so the person that's getting these things out and just educating the public about what's truly going on. Um, and I think the movie does that. Like, I, I don't think it does it in depth, but I think it, it's on a grander scale and it reaches a lar- a larger audience. And I think that's needed. I actually had a friend, Uh, that I was talking to um, just about these type of things and telling stories and um, he was saying how you know um, god I can't remember the guy's name but he was saying how like MLK and a lot of those civil rights activists you know they had people who were able to tell their stories even though they were on the front lines fighting you wouldn't necessarily know who they were without these people telling their stories and I think that's what we need. And I think one person right. we're gonna talk about this when we talk about um when they see us. I think Ava Duvernay has done a, a really good job of telling these stories. Okay. So that's what I'm gonna say about the movie. Um but yeah you should everybody listening to this should definitely see the movie if you're not gonna read the book. I would recommend both but anyway. Yeah. Um I would like to talk about something more positive though. I would like to talk about what we foresee going forward in terms of our criminal justice system. Um, so one thing that Brian Stevenson talks about in the book is that um, the mass incarceration rate dropped in 2012 uh, for the first time. And I think it's dropped <laughs> since then. Um, and he's created programs to work with like poor children to help them with education. And, you know, he's had discussions across the country on race and justice Um, And then we have, like, reentry entry programs a possibility. Um, If you look at, like, Swedish prisons and their rehabilitation, um, a lot of uh, jurisdictions are looking at young adult courts. Um, There's, like, I think five in the country. And basically anyone under the age of maybe, like, 23, 24, you'll charge them not as a juvenile but not fully as an adult. So it's a little different. And I think that's helpful. Okay. Um, and there's some places that have like drug cuts. Like we have one here in Nashville. We have a drug court in Nashville, um, a young adult's court in Nashville as well. Uh, and then there's this idea of like restorative justice that a lot of people are kind of like hopping onto now. Um, and then obviously we have like the Equal Justice Initiative, which is Brian Stevenson's initiative. Um, so I mean, like going forward, what do you think is um, R? I I guess is a better, not is, R? um, I guess, hope for not only society, but for people who are tapped into this system? Like, what do you think the best solutions are?
1: The best solutions? So I think what Just Mercy does, what um, When They See Us does is they tell stories. And I think that's honestly, I think that's one of the best solutions that we can have is get these stories out because they've been hidden for so long. And so I think we need to begin to change the narrative about, about the criminal justice system and about those who we've condemned as criminals. Um I think that's definitely a solution. I also think, you know, I I see hope in that public opinion is shifting more towards ending the war on drugs. The war on drugs has created a lot of this mass incarceration that we currently see. And so I think ending the war on drugs and and sort of focusing more on treatment for addiction rather than punishment for addiction right. is definitely a great solution. They're, they're def- yeah. And so I think those are, like, two really big areas that we need to focus on is we need to, you know, tell the stories of those who are imprisoned. And we also need to end the war on drugs. And, and right. I mean, we could also, like, we're getting it like, in the like read about it we also need to you know stop uh the uh solitary confinement we need to like work Uh on improving the conditions within prison and having them mirror more of society at large because i think we're talking about rehabilitating people into society we need to have these prisons act more as like um i would say like rehab centers you know like you, you've seen like you know the drug rehab centers where people can like people have you know mm-hmm. like rooms and people just have groups talking and stuff and so I think that honestly something more along those lines would be better suited towards rehabilitation but
0: yeah for sure um well if I go ahead and, um I mean do you have any like last minute I guess comments or anything just in general
1: about uh, this Um, So I do have this quote. It's not really on a positive note, but I do have this quote that I kind of... <laughs> I, <laughs> I know you, you wanted to end on a positive note. So maybe you, you can pull some... <laughs> no, go
0: ahead. You can... No, 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 right.
1: ahead. <laughs> so um, the, I think it's the wife of Walter McMillan is talking and she says what do we tell these... Oh, I think it's the mother of one of the Oh, um, I know what culture you're about yeah. to say. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> what do we tell the children about how to stay out of harm's way when you can be at your own house, minding your own business, surrounded by your entire family, and they still put some murder on you that you ain't do and send you to death row? And I think that's just a really. That made me. I had to stop after reading that because I was like, what do we. You know, I mean, I'm sure, Chloe, you've heard this, but I've heard this growing up, you know, is keep your hands out of your pocket when you talk to police like there's this whole to-do list right walter mcmillan yeah, you sure. know walter mcmillan did everything on his to-do list you everything, know right and he yeah. still ended up on death row and so i i don't
0: know that's just something to think about you know no for sure for sure um well, I would like to go ahead and in this podcast on that note, um, I think it's a lot for people to kind of think about. I mean, I think it's enough so that people will want to see the movie. Um, and hopefully after seeing it and possibly reading the book, I hope that people get more involved and really start to have true conversations and discussions about, what our criminal justice system is going to look like five years from now and how we can change it or fix it or you know whatever um it may be um but i do always close my podcast with like your song of the week um and a shoe of the week it can be any song it can be any shoe it doesn't have to be something that um recently came out so it can be anything um so if you could go ahead and just give me a song that you like and a pair of shoes that you like just really like. Um, for <laughs> right. So, I am not much
1: of a shoe guy. So, I'm wearing Nikes. I do not know what type of Nikes they are, but I think that would be my shoe of the week, you know, just because. And it also fits, it also fits sort of what we we're talking about, you know, Nike supported Colin Kaepernick. Kaepernick you know, so, yeah. I think Nikes are definitely my shoe of the week. My song of the week is Common Glory because. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and, That's a good song. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it definitely fits our topic of discussion and if you have not heard that song you should definitely listen to it.
0: <laughs> well, I'm going to um be a little different here. Um with my song of the week, I'm going to go with Keilani All Me. Um it came out like earlier, uh maybe like last week or so. something. Okay. Um featuring uh Keisha Ko. It's been, I think it was like her first like um song that like charted on like Apple Music and the charts and things like that when it was first released because like a lot of her fans really pushed for it. I actually really like the song. Um which is another conversation because well yeah I'm not gonna get into that. But I like the song I love Carolina, so I'm gonna go with that for my song. Um and for my shoe of the week I am going to go with um some off whites. Um they're a Nike shoe. Um I actually really like off whites. Um so I'm gonna go with that for my shoe. Okay. Of the week. Um But cool. Thanks, Justin, for coming on. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in um, to Coffee with Chloe this week. Um, And hopefully we have something out next week for you to listen to.